Hello, and welcome to the Lakeshore Records podcast on Cue With. I'm your host, Alon Leviton, and for today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with award-winning composer and artist Disaster Piece. We discussed making MIDI-based music for cell phone games in the pre-smartphone era, ascending through the e-rustling gaming community, the link between concept albums, prog rock, and soundtracks, logging ungodly hours of Elder Scrolls and World of Warcraft, how to ease up on internal pressure and external expectations, creating deliberately synthetic performative sounds in the uncanny valley, experimenting outside the box with David Robert Mitchell, the importance of pursuing creative novelty, not playing it cute for Marcel the Shell, the influence of Japanese New Age music in the early 80s, the political challenges of scoring Hollywood films, composing with synths as an ensemble, and so much more. Disaster Pieces Moving Score for Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is out now worldwide via Lakeshore Records. Welcome, Rich. Thank you so much for joining us. Congrats on the success of Marcel. It's it's fantastic. Just watched it with my kids um and my wife and we all loved it and we all have very different tastes um <laughs> that's so, so cool <laughs> thank you for s- satisfying the peanut gallery and we'll get into that but uh first off how are you yeah i'm doing good um i'm doing a bit of traveling right now with my girlfriend and uh a lot of changes afoot um but uh yeah doing well <laughs> nice um can you give me a little bit of background like what got music and technology into you what what sparked you initially I know that you've I think you said in the past you were father may have played the drums in church or something to that effect my stepfather was the music director at our church growing up Um, so yeah like for me I I grew up in a musical family um, between my stepfather and my mom who you know played the piano and sang and my sister who who also sang and play the piano. Um, and so I was surrounded by that and, but was more interested in visual art, um, and technology before I got into music. Um, and so I didn't really get into music until like probably high school when I started playing guitar, even though I got into that later, like my, my passion for it grew really, really quickly. Um, and I was already sort of on a different career path. I was already, you know, I had already worked at a firm doing uh, doing graphic design and website design and stuff um, and was in college for that and decided to drop out and uh, switch over and start pursuing music. And you touched upon technology outside of the design work. What specifically are you referring to? I think just computers and games. Um, you know, since I was pretty young, I've always, I was always interested in that and played a lot of games growing up, um, you know, was always, was always messing around with the computer. Uh, my mom was a graphic designer. So we had, a, we had a Macintosh at home and I used to just experiment with it. And whether it was, um, you know, you know, messing around with Photoshop and making graphics or making websites, you know, I, I, I had some friends that were into it too. And we used to like basically mod old like games and stuff. And this was like probably mid nineties um, where we change all the, change all the artwork and stuff in, in, in a pre-existing application or a game. So I was always like messing around with computers growing up um, and always really liked, you know, 
video games and, 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 uh, you know, just like to have creative outlets basically. What, what video games do you think you've like logged the most hours on? <laughs> For, like all time, probably all the time. Elder Scrolls games, probably yeah. the Elder Scrolls games, just because those games are so big. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did play, I did, uh, when I was in college, my first year in college, uh, everybody in, in my, in my dorm, like in the floor, they all got world of Warcraft because that was right when it came out. And, um, I played an ungodly amount of that game. Uh, <laughs> so, so that, that actually might be the one. When did you start having this idea like, Oh, it would be cool to make music for video games as opposed to just, you know, being on the back end or just enjoying playing. I don't think I really realized that that was even an option until the opportunity presented itself to me. I was, I was just making music for fun and, and that sort of thing. And, um, a, like a, like an internet friend basically saw like a listing on a, on a message board um that someone was looking for someone to do to do music and sounds for a cell phone game and this was pre-smartphone era so it was basically like we need you to we're looking for someone who can make midi files basically fortunately for me like that was the thing that i knew how to do because that was i had this piece of software that was like uh it was like let you make a guitar tab but it also had midi things like midi uh, capability and so I yeah reached out to the to this developer and and you know I, I was probably yeah I was probably 19 at the time something like that um and uh w- got to work on a couple of cell phone games um and that was really my first taste of uh you know doing doing sound for 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 a living um and really enjoyed that and you know I had already been doing freelance graphic design and stuff for like on and off for like six years um whether it was working remotely um and you know like I did when I was a teenager I I did this thing called e-wrestling which was sort of this like internet community where you like make you sort of like create your own fictional wrestler and you you write like stories and it's like competitive and at the end of the week like they'll do like a whole They'll, they'll do like a whole screenplay, basically, where you get to see who wins and stuff. And all these people would, you know, they'd, they'd want their own um, logos and graphics and websites. And so I used to do that kind of stuff um, for like, you know, 20 bucks here, you know, 30 bucks there. Um, so I had sort of like, you know, and then as I got older, I actually got a job doing that at a, at a company. Um, so uh, what I found, what I learned was that you know, working on audio um, for people was a little bit different. Uh, it was, uh, I f- found that I had more freedom. People were a little less inclined to have really strong opinions. Um, <laughs> like, whereas everybody has an opinion about, you know, how something should look um, or has a, has a, nef- a niece or nephew who can, who could, who they claim could do it better. Um, so, <laughs> it, you know, that was one observation about it, but I mean, ultimately it was, it was more just that, um, you know, I really like to make music and sounds. And um, it was it was pretty novel for me at that time still because I gotten into it so late. Did you find that it just came naturally to you? You know, you said you started out on these um, 
yeah. cell phone video games. There's there's a difference making music in and of itself versus it serves a function. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I definitely felt like I had a knack for it. I think um, you know at that time, my late teens, I was just getting into progressive rock and concept albums and all this kind of stuff. And so that's kind of where my head was at. And that those were the kind of things I was trying to make on my own. I was making concept albums. Mm-hmm. And so that idea um, lends itself really well to working on scores and soundtracks because, you know, you're, you're trying to create, you know, cause concept albums are sort of um, they're kind of like soundtracks. So uh, you know, that's, yeah, I was already thinking like in a narrative way um, and uh I, I found that I really liked working in that in that way, having, you know, having, you know, having these overarching concepts to work within gave me the structure that I needed to be, I guess, to be um, to be creative and, and to 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 feel to not feel like I was totally lost half the time. I think that's really insightful. I've never thought about that. I've never even drawn that connection. The quote unquote concept of a video game or of a TV show or of a film is something that's going to have to be articulated to you, right? Or I guess my question is more, is it something that it just comes out of conversations between you and the director or the game developer, or is it something that you feel is your stamp that you're offering Mm. them? Yeah, there's definitely conversations for sure. Um, to start to get a sense of what uh, maybe what the hopes and dreams are with the, you know, with the creative director of the project. Um, And also to share sort of my ideas of where I think things should go and to kind of see if we're close, like if we're on the same page or not. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, when I'm interfacing with something, whether it's a game or a movie, I'm definitely picking up my own um, intuitions about, you know, what, what, what this thing needs or what it should sound like, Um, you know, creating sort of creating my own um, outline of, you know, of, of the thing, Um, you know, trying to get to the essence of it because that is a big part of what drives the, the decision-making whether it's, you know, sound choice or you know the type the types of melodies i'm you know types of melodies i'm writing or, or or whatnot do you find that and maybe there's not a single answer for this across you've done so much in such different spheres yeah um, but do you find that let's say your initial instincts end up mapping pretty well to the final products not always well i mean i think that Personally, I find that my initial instincts are usually good, uh, good ones, and that I would be happy with that direction. But that direction is not always a direction that's shared, or you know that that the person I'm working with also wants. And so that's just a part of working on other people's projects um, that you know at, at this point I'm, I'm very used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, there are projects where you know I had a very different vision of what I thought it should sound like. Like uh, the the film Under the Silver Lake is a good example of that, where we we sought out to you know we had worked together on It Follows, and uh, we sought out to do to to take a different approach creatively, and that approach was to to try to lead a little bit more with the music. And I had a very different idea of what the movie should sound like, 
um, and kind of, I kind of put together this very, this, this palette that I really liked, um, that, you know, ultimately, and I think could have worked well for the film, but it, it just wasn't what the director wanted or, or imagined. And they, they were already kind of exploring that the, the sound of the film just through editing on their own. And so it would have been, it would have been an uphill battle to, to try to fight against that. And, and instead, you know, it made more sense to just kind of roll with what, what they had in mind. And, and you know, it, it was easy for me to buy into it because it was such a new, that was like a really new direction for me anyway. Um, and I was excited to, to, to take that on. You mentioned it would have been an uphill battle. Are there, are there hills that you do die on? Do you, have you found yourself in certain positions? Not that you have to call them out, but yeah. Where you're like, now, you know what, this is just creatively, we're not seeing eye to eye and this is the way it's gotta be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there've definitely been projects where I didn't feel like it was, um, it was working. Um, and you know, there were times where maybe, you know, we were able to, you know, work through it or I just kind of, you know, I like, I just grinned and, and bared it, but there are other times where, you know, I just, um, it didn't work out and we just parted ways. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think with these kind of projects, as, as I've gotten older, my motivations for doing them are different. And, um, you know, like I'm, I'm a little less concerned about, um, you know, like maybe contractual things being perfect or ultimately it's like, do I want to, do I think this is going to be fun and satisfying to work on or not? Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's really hard to predict, um, you know, how things will, how things will go. Um, um, every project is super different. So this is, this is a lofty question that I, I like to ask composers and artists, you know, answer it however you please, obviously, but do you have a sort of artistic mission statement or ethos? How would you communicate if, if you have any sort of general principle or intention, what would that be? Yeah, I would say that it was something that I did unawares. Like I, I didn't know that I was doing this, but after a period of time, it became clear that my sort of mission statement or ethos, like with my work was to seek out creative novelty um, and that I was sort of a creative explorer and that, you know, I'm always, I was always looking for something different to do that would defy expectations, whether they were other people's or my own, um, and to challenge myself in new ways. Um, and so I was always looking for each project to be different. And that, that, served, that served me pretty well throughout my career. Um, and, and it's only been maybe in the back half of things and maybe in the last, you know, five to eight years or so that I've kind of changed my tune. And I've tried to focus more on working on things that I find that are going to be fun and my quality of life, um, which is something that I've talked about for 10 plus years, but um, I think I'm actually putting into practice in a much healthier way now than I, than I ever did before. Awesome. Because I think in the beginning, yeah, I think in the beginning it was more like, it was more just talk. Um, and I, but I wasn't actually doing it. I was still working on way too many things and um, you know, and I'm, I'm not perfect. And I still like go through phases where I'm, I, I 
think, oh, this is going to be fine. And then I'm, I'm in the middle, midst of it. I'm like, yeah, no, this is not fine. This, I'm trying to do too many things. And, you know, the maybe the scenario is like not, it's not a good scenario for me just based on what my sort of expectations are with work. I don't know. I, um, I'm not one to roll over and take it. So, uh, you know, at times I've had a hard time working on movies and working on like Hollywood projects because of the political like component of working in, uh, with lots of different people and just the complex, the social complexity of it um, has at times been a bit too much for me. Mm-hmm. And I always find myself going back, trying to go back to smaller projects with less people um, that are a little easier for me to wrap my head around and, and where I feel like there are less kind of like external distractions. I think you're somewhat implying work-life balance, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I'm curious how much of that is, you know, you said years ago it was more talk than practice, but is that simply because of leverage, right? You, you have a lot of heavy hitters under your belt now. Mm. I think, I think, um, I mean, I've been like, uh, as far as like, I think a lot of it is perception because, um, you know, pretty much since I worked on the game Fez in 2012, I've been pretty much set. Like I've, I haven't been, I haven't been in a situation where, I mean, and I have, I have worked continuously since then. And that's certainly, (laughs) it's, I don't want to discount that, but I, I think a lot of it was just personal perception of like where I was in my career and what my ambitions were and what I felt like I needed to accomplish. And there have been key sort of projects and milestones for me personally that I think allowed me to ease up a little bit on the pressure, the internal mm-hmm. pressure, um, whether it was, you know, um, this game mini Metro that I worked on that won it won best audio um, at the end at the independent games festival, which to me is the most important. It's the most important awards festival for games. Like mm-hmm. that was really, that was a really meaningful award to win. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of awards in general, but for me personally, that meant a lot to me. Um, and I just felt like, you know, at that point I felt like, well, there's really not anything else that I need to do to prove. I don't, there's nothing I need to prove. And so I could kind of relax and just try to have fun in games Mm-hmm. um or and even though I didn't you know even though I wasn't super great maybe at following through on that the whole time and I, I had to learn some additional lessons like you know I had to go through some additional projects that were really challenging and, and long <laughs> yeah. but I think overall like it's just it's been a it's been a practice and overall it's gotten easier um and the same thing with like Under the Silver Lake which was only my second film project but you know, I, I didn't fancy myself this like, you know, lifer, like, you know, film composer, orchestral composer at that stage, I had never even really done an orchestral project. So just, just the opportunity to do one at all was, was really kind of motivating. Um, and then after that, it, it's been less motivating <laughs> to work on those <laughs> kind of projects because of just the stress and you know, I, the, the way that movies are made and television, the way that all that stuff gets made is just not, it's not always the greatest fit with the way that I like to live my life. So, um, you know, all that is to say that there's very, I'm these days I put very little pressure on myself creatively. Um, 
and I, I, you know, I still want things that I work on to be really good. And that's, that's the primary like motivating factor. And I want to have a good time, but there's less of that, like, you know, there's less of that. Um, there's less of that, like being hard on myself. I, I fully grasp what you're saying about work life balance, et cetera. Are you also talking about in the creative, in terms of composition, like when you're making something? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I definitely hold more space for trying to work on things that I think would be fun and interesting. And I'm less motivated by just the pure challenge. I I still like a good challenge, but it's just like a, there's just been a, there's some kind of shift there. I think a lot of it is just like maybe the reflection that I've been able to do where it's like, okay, I've been doing this for a really long time. And, you know, like I see a lot of people coming up um, who are younger, you know, who, who need help (laughs) or who want help. Mm -hmm. And that has become like a growing kind of, you know, factor for me too, where when I was younger, I wasn't really concerned with that so much. And uh, so there are still challenges that come along that I'm, I'm interested in that I'm interested in pursuing, but I'm also trying to make more, I'm trying to make more space and time for, for other things in my life. Um, And I think that will, you know, where in the past, like work, work versus other things was kind of like a 60, 40 work to life or even higher <laughs> work. It's kind of flipped now is, is kind of what I'm trying to say. Got it. As far as Marcel, the shell, I think that the film, your music, everything, it's just, there's something so profound and refreshing about the entire endeavor. I just watched it um, last night. So it's, it's fresh on my mind and it's just this beautiful meditation sort of experience for me with uh that we had with my family and you know like yeah. Yeah, the mundane the profound small things that matter and it was just such an original thing what was the genesis of your involvement and what were those original conversations like yeah so um the animation director for Marcel Shell is Kirsten Lepore and um she and I worked together on an episode of Adventure Time that she directed and it was a stop motion episode um, called Bad Jubies. And uh, <laughs> I had a, we had a really good time working on that. And so I think, I don't know all the details, but I, I, I think that Dean, the director was aware, might've been aware of my music before. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, just, I, I had a chance to talk with both of them and, you know, it was good to catch up with Kirsten and, and, you know, I could tell right away that Dean and I would get along really well. Um, and we did, we did get along pretty well. Uh, it was, and it was, it's always, it's always a bonus. I think to, you know, it, it's a bonus to work with somebody who's working on something personal. Um, they have a really strong, they have a keen and strong sense of what they're doing. He has that and, and, and a lot of confidence about, you know, what, what he's making I'm ultimately really happy with what we made and it did take quite a lot of um, experimentation because I think my instinct was to make music that's a little bit more on the nose. Um, And his desire was to have the music be more ambiguous. And so we started talking about music that kind of goes against what the scene is doing or yeah, music that is sort of, that sort of lives on its own. And it isn't so much reacting to things. Um, And so I, you know, I sort of had to like practice 
that skill because I didn't really have it so much. Um, you know, having worked on, you know, the other movies that I'd worked on were all much more like, oh, the music is trying to, you know, it's it's reacting to things um, or it's, you know, setting up things and it's it's beat by beat. You know, there's things happening. The music in Marcel is a little bit less that way. Um, it's a little bit more like um, as if, you know, I wrote music and put it and <laughs> just put it, you know, just wrote some music and then put it in the scene. Um, so there was like a bit of unlearning that I had to do to, to kind of like work within that idea. Were there conversations about what the intention of the movie is? You know, those sort of things definitely came out in discussions of scenes. And as I was delivering music, because that was the way that we communicated it. The, the way that we communicated was I will write some music and we'll, we'll talk about it. And we'll, through that process, we'll try to get to the right thing. We'll try to, we'll try to land on the right ideas. Um, and so, you know, I would, uh, you know, often <laughs> I was often writing music that was, um, you know, it was maybe a little too cute for what, what Dean had in mind, because he wanted to convey, he wanted to convey like some, some amount of maturity and seriousness while still having a sense of humor. Like he didn't want it to be, um, too like cartoonish, I suppose, or, or he didn't want to lean into the cute factor because, yeah, you know, he wanted to give the movie some gravitas. Um, so there was a delicate balance to be found there. And I think, you know, the, the kind of reference material that he shared with me helped, helped me a lot to kind of have a good starting point. Um, it was a lot of like Japanese new age kind of music from the early eighties. Um, lots of like synth kind of music that uses sounds that are pretty organic sounding. Um, so that was kind of the idea that was sort of the starting idea, which that was to have music that's somewhat, that doesn't like reveal it, it like it doesn't go a lot of places it's kind of stationary and um but it's trying it's like organic warm kind of sounds sounds that um like could theoretically be made by real instruments but are not so it's kind of this like um there's a sort of sort of delicate sort of threshold that we were trying to like get the music to um and uh so it took a little bit of experimentation
I definitely think you nailed that. It's just the ambience and the the atmospheres and there's these lush winds and it's organic, but also there's these lo-fi element to it. I think it's just fantastic. And the warmth of Marcel in the story really, really comes through. You, you touched upon something interesting that I wanted to ask you about. I wasn't quite sure how to formulate this question. So maybe you can help me work through it. Sure. So some of what I hear you doing sounds to me a little bit meta. Like there's this, you said this, there's this element of intentionally using synths or, you know, software that can create a sound that might be a real instrument or could be a real instrument or generate something similar to a real instrument, but it's not. And there's something very, this has a negative connotation. So it's not, that's why I need your help here. Uncanny Valley about it. Yeah. But I love it. And people clearly love it. What's going on? Can you interpret anything I just said? Absolutely. So I think that's a cool observation. Um, I, I think that's where, you know, that that is sort of another way of saying that the sounds are, you know, very deliberately synthetic for the most part, but um, trying to do things that sound like human or expressive, but performative um, that aren't very tropey like there aren't like you know big filter sweeps or anything that's like very clearly attributed to like the sound of electronic music um it's it's more like electronic sounds that are trying to do natural things um uh and i think that that type of approach works well with the it works works well with the subject matter and the the characters being you know these sort of like these sort of like odds and ends these little things that are humanized um, and sort of live in a in a in a um, a uh, live action sort of environment um, and so you know there's that component of it. And then there's also sort of the more nerdy component of it for me, which is that it was a, it was an opportunity to use a lot of physical modeling synthesizers, um, mm. which is a type of synthesis that I really like. Um, and it sort of lives in that uncanny space because it, it does a, you know, you can get these sounds that are very expressive and performative that um, have a lot of the characteristics of real sounds, but still have a little bit of that, synthetic kind of uh, component to it i think the idea that there's something meta going on there is true i haven't i haven't really thought about that too much but yeah that's i would i would agree with the idea you are one of these rare beasts who can emote equally it could be a piano or it could be a synth that i can't quite make out yeah and they equally resonate with something in me that creates mm. a wellspring of emotion. And I'm like, I find that to be very, a very unique ability that you have. It's almost like you're doing the same thing with a synth that you could do with a piano. There's no difference. Yeah. yeah I think um, they're all just instruments. And I think that's, you know, I've noticed that about the music that I write that, you know, even when I'm, using all synthetic sounds, I still think of, I still think of the music as sort of an ensemble. Um, you know, it's an ensemble of instruments. 
as opposed to this sort of like nebulous space where you can, anything is possible and you can just do lots of like crazy electronic things. I still think of it as like almost like a band. Um, And I think maybe that's just kind of because that's where it all started for me. Like my, my interest in the beginning was playing guitar and, you know, I wanted to make like rock tunes or like, you know, proggy metal kind of tunes. And so it was like, you know, bass and, you know, rhythm guitar and maybe lead guitar and drums and that sort of thing. And so that's, that sort of fundamental idea has, has always stayed with me, even, even when I'm using instruments that are kind of abstract. Um, I still think of, I still think of the music that way. Are you literally thinking in terms of a band and like arrangement? Is that the overarching inner monologue? I'm definitely thinking of like a, like a sound stage. So the specificity of like, yes, there are this number of instruments or that have this, these functions. I think instruments having functions is something that I think about a lot when I'm writing, like, what is the function of the sound? Um, it's not always like an explicitly, this is kind of like a brass section or, or whatever. Um, but sometimes it is like, you know, there's like a, the credits track, be, uh, be odorant on the soundtrack. Um, like that is very much like, oh, like it, it just kind of started to come together as this sort of kitchen sink brass band kind of thing. And so, you know, I really was leaning into that idea, making choices that that are sort of inspired by the idea of, you know, let's make like a ragtag, you know, sure. like live ensemble with these sort of like quirky pseudo brassy sounds and like, you know, like a shitty like synthy bass part that's but it's kind of played like pizzazz, like, you know, a lot of like funky bass licks and stuff that like maybe a bass player would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so like given the the context, you know, I might like ham it up and really lean into the like, oh, like, you know, these are all parts played by like a human being. And, you know, I'm going to make it kind of fun and, and a little like sloppy or, you know, other times, you know, the music, I, maybe I want the music to be a little bit more like um, ethereal or, or whatever. And maybe in, in those cases, it's going to be a little less tangible, like the, the, it being tied to like, you know, a human component or it being played, like the idea that something's being played is something that, um, sometimes I will lean into for effect and other times maybe not so much. Um, so they're just like modes, I guess, of, of creating the, the music. Sounds like you have an emotion or a goal in mind, something that you're trying to accomplish with the music. Yeah. And that, and that the arrangement is one filter and framework by which you can arrive there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like different filters that I can use to kind of get there different ways of structuring and thinking about the music. And usually I'll just kind of start going in some direction and that will inspire me to go down a more specific direction. Um, And the whole time I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just kind of going through this feedback loop of, of listening and, and just trying to get closer to, to something that feels right. And it's, it's all about like, does it feel right? Does it feel right? And keep making changes. Um, and, but within some sort of framework generally, because once I start, I'm usually starting to go down some kind of path and that path is going to start branching out and I'm going to keep going more and more specific uh, the longer that I work. But as long as I'm like, as long as I got that feedback loop going, like um, usually I'm going to get to something that it might not be right, but at least it will be like, you know, it will have some sort of confidence behind it. Are we just talking about taste? 
based yeah. on your experience and what you've listened to and why. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I don't, I don't set out to, to please somebody. Um, I just set out to make the best music possible. And if they don't like it, then I set out to make something else until they like it. Like as opposed to, I try not to lean too heavily into like, I don't know, customer satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. I totally get it. Um, did you, what have specifically, if anything, have you learned from different uh, directors that you've worked with? I mean, right off the bat, the, the easiest thing is to say is that every director speaks a totally different language, a diff, totally different musical language. The things that I've learned working with one person may not apply to working with someone else. Mm. Um, it's It's a dance. It's a very intuitive process trying to figure out the language somebody uses to talk about music the things that they react to the things that they don't react to um you know all of those things like lead me they they contribute to the direction that i go down and that's that's part of the that's part of the intrigue and fun with working uh for someone else because in you know in some cases you being used as a conduit for their ideas and so you're going to get to places that you wouldn't get on your own and that can be really fulfilling but it it can also be very um frustrating (laughs) it really just kind of depends i think on the relationship and and maybe the you know the thing that you're doing so i've come away from projects you know feeling like we we got to a pretty good place together and I've come away sometimes from projects where I felt like I knew just as little about their taste and opinions as I did when I started. So <laughs> it really, it really runs the gamut. <laughs> is there, is there a difference in terms of working in the game space versus, you know, I don't know, Netflix versus a 24. Is it just, they have different human beings, so it's different. Or is there something that you find intrinsic to these spaces? There's definitely cultural differences, not just between organizations, but also between the mediums. Mm-hmm. Um, like working on games is quite different than working on on film, um, especially when you're working on small projects. Because even a small film, it's still there's still a significant amount of overhead and a lot of people involved and producers and people making people who have some sort of some level of um, creative authority. Whereas on a small game, the overhead is very small and there might, there might only be one person. Um, And while that is possible, you know, that is technically possible in in film. It's, it's not that common. Um, And so, you know, coming into film, I kind of got the wrong idea because I I worked with um, David Robert Mitchell on my first two projects and, you know, he had a very strong control over creatively over his projects. Um, and I got used to that way of working. Um, and, uh, but that's, that's not, that's, that's not typically how movies get made. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of variety. There's a lot of variability um, yeah, from project to project. And there's Do you have um, dream projects or collaborations that you'd like to, I don't know, see come to fruition. Not, not a specific one. I think there are like, there are values that I hold. Um, and I, you know, they're like, they're like more abstract ideas that, you know, would be 
it'd be nice to see those come to fruition on a project. Um, whether it's like, you know, working with somebody who wants to give me like full, full stop, like creative control to kind of do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's something like that or, you know, something, sometimes it's like maybe more about the structure of a project. Like, you know, I, it's, it can be fun to have something to work on that's kind of long-term, but very low, low stress, kind of low commitment. Hmm. Um, I have a few like game projects that have been like that, um, where I've gotten to continue to work on them over the years, but it's, you know, it's very infrequent that I have to, because, you know, the game only gets updated maybe once or twice a year. Um, those sort of situations are really nice. Um, but I think in general, it's, it's like the thing that I, that resonates with me is the opportunity to work with somebody who sees something in the work that I do that's unique. Um, and they, they want to go, they want to go somewhere unique with me creatively that I don't feel like I've gone before. And so, I mean, when when that, like, I really appreciate, um, people who do that, um, which is why I really appreciate it, you know, working with David Robert Mitchell, because he really saw that and, you know, he sees that in me and he, he gave me an opportunity to, to write a film noir, like orchestral, orchestral score. And I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where that comes from, but he, he, he thought that I could do it. Um, and, uh, you know, so I really, I really appreciate getting those sort of opportunities that are outside of the box. And it's not just like, you know, we saw you do this. So, you know, do this other thing that's like kind of similar. <laughs> sure. Two quick rapid fire questions here. I'm conscious of the time. Um, the first one is a thought experiment. You get in front of God in heaven, purgatory, whatever it may be. You're asked uh, to play a song. What do you do? I would probably just sit at the piano and improvise. Nice. Because that's kind of like, I think that's... Um, for me, that's sort of the purest way that I can express music uh, at this stage in my life. So, Love it. That's exactly what I would do too, but just for the record. <laughs> um, last question, practical advice for upcoming musicians, artists, people in tech, just anybody who is looking to gain some knowledge from you. It's really important to have your your goals in mind um, and make sure that the things that you're doing are in in alignment with what your goals are and to just be really confident that your goal is actually your goal and not just something that someone else said or that you think sounds cool, like to, to really sit with it and think about what your goals actually are. I think that's really important. Um, And to, you just got to, I say this all the time, but it's really important too, which is that if you want to be, if you want to find commercial success doing this kind of work that you really have to put yourself out there um, and you really have to, you just have to show up a lot and um, just let the world know that you exist and that, you know, you have a particular desire um, and to, to lean into that and, and to, you know, just try to be authentic with the things that you're, that you're doing, like, you know, to really lean into like what makes, makes you unique as a, as a creative person. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rich, for your time. I really appreciate it. Lots of great insights and have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Appreciate it. 
Thank you.